Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brandt. And this episode, we're discussing SST-121, the Zoog's Rift album, Interim Resurgence. This is our second in a row of four, Brandt. It's April is Zoog's month. And I don't know if you caught this, um, but there's a song on this record called Don't Go Outside. <laughs> and seems quite fitting these days. Um, we definitely didn't plan it that way. But um, we'll get to that in a moment. And we've got a special guest again, Brent. Yeah, Mark Myler, part two. Sweet. Mark's a great guy. Uh, great to have him come on the show and give us some tidbits about this record too. Awesome. We've, we've got some great tidbits from our pal uh, Craig Unkrich, a.k.a. Mr. California too. And he always bring, brings the very best tidbits with him <laughs> yeah. we're gonna definitely have him on again for a zoogs episode sometime in the future because he uh, it's actually in this clams in a glass book this zoogs rift book he describes meeting craig unkrich and he describes him as like a super fan which he definitely is and he played in the band so yeah oh yeah, yeah. he's got a solo track on this record too yeah Awesome. Well, that's great that uh, Craig was able to contribute as well. Looking forward to hearing about that. Uh, Brent, you got any spiels for the dudes and dudettes out there? I do. I actually have some. So I asked Craig to, I think the words I used were audit our Ipecac episode. Lots of people oh. like apologize and stuff when they send us corrections. But I mean, like I said to Craig... I appreciate getting the corrections and I would rather correct a mistake that we made or expand on something. I want to get, you know, stuff right for the record. So yeah, I'm, I'm yep. always happy to get corrections and additional information. So here's what I got from Craig regarding Ipecac. This is, was my favorite thing. First and foremost, in case you didn't know, Zoog's Rift made more money from the game using Ipecac for the, for da shit than from every record and CD sale and concert tour that Zoogs ever did in his entire career combined. I'm told Geffen was quite generous. I think they know they knew how ill he was at the time. So that's cool. Uh, he says, I hesitate to use the word sample because he actually lifted the melody, which goes a little beyond sampling. Although Zoogs always pointed out that they were playing it incorrectly. And then here's some additional notes he sent, sent. He says, There were no official Zobus albums. They recorded several albums worth of material, and Zoogs released most of it himself on cassette and CDR. I think we covered this in a previous episode, but he says, Alan Eugster was a friend of Chuck Dukowski, and it, and it was at a lunch with those three when Chuck presented Zoogs Rift with a check for, I think, $2,000 to make Island of Living Puke. Here's something we mentioned. Uh, the single version of Sit Down and Shut Up was never released. This is true. Tragically, the original tapes got erased, and so when Zoog's Rift was asked to make a clean and safe single version, he had to re-record the basic tracks using Rich Haas on drums because MB Gordy was most likely in Japan at the time, or otherwise indisposed. I don't think that was the reason the single never came out, Zoog's Rift was very angry at Dave Richards for, at NSFD Records, claiming he flew the country and Zoog's never got paid anything for Ipecac. And he does confirm Amputees came out before Ipecac. I owned a cassette copy of Amputees before I 
ever met Zoogs. When I met Zoogs, Ipecac was released on cassette only. So there's some great updates from Craig. Yeah, that's important to get that on the record because you know this this show is going in the Smithsonian, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's it's a it's critical. Thanks, Craig. Okay, here's a few other things. I'm gonna go over to two of my new segments this week, Ryan, starting with the comp zone. The comp zone. <laughs> oh man and it kind of has a Zoog's Rift tie in we've talked about these comps before but I listened very intently to the first volume of Obscure Independent Classics Volume 1 there's five volumes of this compilation it's on Cordelia Records this dude Alan Jenkins who also put out Amputees in Limbo on that label it kind of reminds me a bit of some of those New Alliance Records comps and some early scene comps in the sense that it's very eclectic, which I love when I find a compilation that just kind of does a little bit of everything. Oh yeah. Like feeble efforts or something on new lines. Exactly. Yep. Here's some of the bands, Ryan, that are on this comp. Uh, Zoog's Rift is on it. John Truby and the ugly janitors of America. John Truby has a connection to Zoog's. We'll be getting at next week. Uh, the deep freeze mice. Stop me if you've heard of any of these bands. (laughs) these were just my favorites that i picked out root uh and i believe alan jenkins was in the deep freeze mice ruth's refrigerator chrysanthemums the thurston lava tube the hydrant men the big goats world backwards the sinatras disco zombies and a band called the surgery it's a great comp Volume one, 1 came out May 1985. Do you have those on, on vinyl or what? No, it's on Spotify actually. Oh, okay. Yep. And what's it called again? Obscure Independent Classics is the series. Sounds cool. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, Cordelia Records. I gotta check that out for sure. Okay, you're gonna like this. This is one for you, Ryan, and it's a... I'm going to call this a podcast shout out also. So a couple weeks ago, we were talking about in one of your spiels, SST tribute albums. And we were like, who's that band that did my war? Yeah. Did you figure it out yet? Yeah. A couple people let us know. Uh, Michael T. Fournier reminded us that it's, the band is called gas kill. Oh, right. And I believe they called the album our war. And also we heard Uh, from, this is where the podcast shout out comes out, comes in. We heard also from a podcast pal, Christian Campania. He has a Boston based podcast called Talk About the Passion. That's really great. Uh, Michael T. Fournier has been on it, actually. Uh, Randy Larson, another friend of ours who was in Empty Flowers and Cable. Uh, A good one that I really liked is Scott Helland from Deep Wound, the band with Jay Mascus and Lou Barlow. He was a right. guest on there. Many other cool guests, including Kevin Grant, who was the vocalist in Gaskill. Uh, he played in a bunch of projects Kevin Grant did. They're from Gaskill, or, or Kevin anyways, is based out of New Bedford, uh, Massachusetts. Way too many projects that I really want to dig into that he mentioned. A few that I did check out that I immediately dug 
that you, I think you would like too, for sure, is this band. I think it's like his newest band. They're called Wire Lines. And they have an EP that came out last year called Terminal, and you'll like it. He described it as Fugazi slash Huskerdu slash Eye Against Eye era bad brains. That sounds good. And a band I think he had after Gas Kill is called The Hidden. Also really liked them. I'm going to check out check them out more too. I need to re-listen to the whole interview again with a pen and paper because he threw out the names of so many bands kind of associated that, with that scene that I want to check out. And he also talks a lot about the My War Tribute album and ch- talking to Chuck Dukowski about the album before they recorded it to get his insight and stuff. So... You should check that one out, Ryan. There's, I bet you some of those bands, you might even know some of them. Okay, I'm on it. Okay, one more quick spiel. This is a rare good news story as far as SST master tapes go. All our listeners might have seen this already because I reposted it on our Facebook page, but the SST catalog of Trotsky Icepick and Danny and the Doorknobs have all reverted to Poison Summer Records that is their record label. And for the first time ever, there's an opportunity for them to remaster those seven albums. So it sounds like they're starting with the first album, which they self-released in 1986 called Poison Summer, uh, but reissued by SST in 1989 as SST 239. And it should be followed by their SST debut, Baby, which came out in 1988 sst 197 sounds like the master tapes are in various states ranging from excellent to not so great looking forward to hopefully seeing some of that stuff though and maybe possibly some bonus tracks too yeah that was going to be one of my spiels as well i was super pumped to see that they've got seven albums that they can hopefully work up the other thing too i mean they definitely did not allude to how they got them back yeah but the the thing that i was going to mention uh in my spiel on that one is man like what if that means the the dam has burst maybe maybe maybe, maybe eh? like that would be that would be amazing to uh get some artists their due um get them some cash and uh and i mean even some cash for the former label owner too and just put that out there you know like yeah everyone everyone can benefit from letting this stuff go back out into the wild and uh be uh, rediscovered and enhanced i think that there's uh there's just so much out there and i mean look we're at episode 121 think of how many bands we've been through where they they need this to happen to them right well what I'm thinking, and this is pure speculation on my part, is maybe because they didn't, they were a later band, right? Like 1989 was when their first yeah. one came out. Yeah. Maybe by that point, SST was signing contracts with these bands. And maybe the contract says that the uh, master tapes reverted back to the artist in 30 years, which it's now been. Oh, interesting. Just a pure speculation by me. I'll go with it. That's it for me, Ryan. What do you have? So I was going to spiel about the Trotsky news, which is good. And I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned it. The only other thing that I had, I had two, and this one's maybe a bit of a micro spiel, 
But just uh, for people out there like me who really, really care about this particular band and anything that they do, uh, Field Day, the band that has uh, Peter Cortner and Doug Carrion from Dag Nasty, right? They uh, they just released a single, a seven inch Field Field Day 2.0, and you can get that on. Cortex Records or Revelation Records, you can order that. Super stoked to hear this music. I know I'm going to love it, and uh, I really hope a full length is coming. Oh, and you know what? I just recalled one other thing, and it's actually Dagnasty related. Um, Dave Smalley and the Bandoleros just uh, they released that LP, and they also like last week released a, a seven inch single as well that you can order um, off their Bandcamp and whatnot. So there's two. Dag Nasty singles, uh, Dag Nasty related singles in the last week, which is awesome. That's cool. What's that Ian Mackay band called? Koriki? Yeah, that got pushed back. Yeah, I just got a notice today that it's uh, it's not going to arrive anytime soon, which is too bad. But yeah. better, better for them to push it back and when it comes out, um, then be able to recoup their money at least, right? Maybe they're pushing it back because they're going to tour behind it. That'd be sweet. I I mean, the tracks that I've heard sound awesome. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to get into this Zoogs album? It's time for a resurgence. An interim resurgence. (laughs) (laughs) History lesson, part one. Okay, Brent, at the the last episode, 120, Ipecac, we kind of reoriented where we are in Zoog's catalog. And with those corrections from Mr. California, or maybe they're not corrections, maybe they are supplemental spiels, we're now delving into interim resurgence. Yeah, I have, so some, I, I have some more supplemental corrections, though. Because I did ask Craig about some of those albums. You know how we were wondering which album came first? And then I was laying some what I thought were fake album titles on you off of the snout version of Ipecac. Right. And then yeah. I, and then I, in my research, I found some stuff to indicate that those are were not fake album titles. So I asked Craig about them. So here is, as far as I can tell, like as close as we'll probably get to the actual order of the albums. You ready for this? So ready. Okay. This is, uh, this would be the spiels with the necessary changes having been made, perhaps. <laughs> How about Exa- that? Exactly. Okay. Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course, which we'll be getting to in a couple weeks. 1979 Snout Records, 1987 SST. We're calling that the first Zoogs album. And as you'll recall, I just mentioned, Craig said there was no official Zobus albums. Okay, then next, Amputees in Limbo, 1982, Snout Records, 1987, SST. So that'll be next week. Okay, dig this. Music Sucks, 1982, Snout Records. Craig says, uh, these were all cassette, this was a cassette-only release. Music Sucks was basically outtakes from 1974 to 1982 or so. Then next, Ryan, we have 
Can you smell my genitals from where you're standing? 1983 Snout Records. Cassette only release of songs, all of which are recorded on one of those very cheap Casio programmable keyboards. It was more of a toy, but some of the stuff is pretty interesting, and he eventually had a cassette worth of material. Then we have Ipecac, 1984 Snout Records, 1987 SST. Then we have The Diseased Confessions of Moamo Milkman, Snout Records, 1984. Okay, on that one he says, this was a collection of interviews which ultimately became discontinued because of the ever-increasing number of interviews he was doing. Then we have None of Your Damn Business. See, I can't even keep it straight now. None of Your Damn Business was a cassette re release which was a gimmicky sort of thing. You pay Zoogs 10 bucks and he makes you a cassette of whatever he wants. <laughs> he goes... <laughs> He goes, I ordered a copy in 1984, and he made it the entire unabridged Ipecac, which had just been completed. I believe I ordered another, which was Rift Sings Sinatra, which is Zoog's Rift singing along to a Sinatra concert. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course we're, it is. Right. And then we're into Interim Resurgence, 1985 Snout Records, 1987 SST. And then, of course, after that, we get into the SST year, years, and it kind of gets easier after that. This one, Ryan, came out on snout, I assume on cassette, and vinyl. For sure it came out on vinyl in 1985. As far as I can tell, though, uh, as for the SST reissue, it only came out on L LP, which is odd because Ipecac, Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course, and, and Amputees in Limbo all came out on cassette. On SST yeah they must have thought that this one would have like less of a market for some reason maybe <laughs> I don't know why yeah I don't know either okay here's from Craig in 1984 and we've talked about this before Zoogs decided to go on a radical diet later dubbed the mutatus mutandus diet as I recall it was every day three eggs three slices of Swiss cheese one piece of chicken that's it for nine months. During that time, he decided to make a record. I was already in the band, but hadn't done anything in the studio yet. It was assumed that he would shop it around to record companies, but ultimately he would just put it out himself on cassette. At some point, I inquired about the cost of putting the record out on vinyl and proposed the idea of me paying for it. My parents loaned me around $2,000, which I used to finance the vinyl. Zoogs made all the arrangements. We made 500 copies of the album. About 100 went to Zoogs to promote and whatever. I sold the rest through local and international distributors. There are also 500 empty jackets floating around somewhere. The minimum order on color covers was 1,000. The album was riddled with problems. The first test pressing was too flawed to use. The second test pressing was also flawed for different reasons, but nevertheless used. All the SST reissues were mastered directly from the original vinyl source. So Zoog's Rift was not interested in correcting any recording flaws. But he did take some liberties with changing artwork, etc. So that's from Craig. And uh, I have some more stuff from him once we get to the tracks. Now I'm going to go over to Zoog's book, Clams in a Glass. I announced, with Ipecac receiving rave reviews and beginning to sell that our March 8th Bebop show 
would be the last show of 1985 and that I was going into what I called a 10-month Moamo incubation period where I would hopefully emerge at the end of the year as a slimmer, healthier Moamo. I was enlightened into a whole series of ridiculous concepts which I proceeded to incorporate into this whole Moamo business, including the creation of a new mystical philosophy called Mutatus Mutandus. I was on a roll. The new diet was now in motion, and my new Mutatus Mutandus publicity stunt was getting more absurd by the minute. The only way that this project was going to be effective was if I was totally if I was to totally immerse myself in it, which I did, and that started to become a problem in my personal life. I began to patronize everyone around me with this making the necessary changes stuff, and soon alienated anyone who knew me. I became pretty damn obnoxious. Hmm. I was doggedly determined to see this job through and emerge on January 1st, 1986 as the Moamo, driving everyone else nuts in the profit process. Sure enough, my weight began to quickly drop. 320, 310, 300, 290, 280. It was working. Here's where he talks about kind of the, the people involved. I wanted a new, different feel for this project, so I used some different musicians, including Craig, Tom Ferranti, another fan who was also conveniently a willing musician on drums, Owen Green, a friend of Mark's who worked as co-engineer on Ipecac on bass guitar, and on vocals, Ed O'Brien, a bassist friend of mine from an extremely loud, obnoxious punk band called Renfield Brick, which we talk about in our interview with Ed, actually, and the return of Scott Colby and John Truby. With Mark Myler and Rich Haas adding a few finishing touches, we quickly recorded the new songs and had the new record released in August. Even Matt Carlson made a reappearance. We now had two records out this year, and that fact doubled with my mysterious 10 months of seclusion began to get a lot of people for the very first time in my musical history interested and fascinated with what the hell Zoog's Rift was doing. And then there's a declaration here that he posted. Declaration, and I'll post this on our pages too. This notice is to certify that the legendary Dottist citizen of Los Angeles, California, in accordance with the newly acquired powers duly invested in him, solemnly swears that IP at Moamo Zoog's Rift will once again perform entertainment of a musical nature featuring a whole new band to celebrate the completion of the 10-month Moamo incubation period. With said performance to commence on Saturday, January 4th, 1986 at 8.30 at the performance facilities of Bebop Records and Fine Art Reseda, utilizing the support talents of the 1986 Mutatus Mutandus show band and review. Free ceremonial cake and beverages will be served immediately following the performance along with a few special surprises. Dress in your most outrageous costumes for the old Grey Goose lives. He lives. He has taken the form of the Moamo. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that should basically take us up to where we need to be, Ryan. Why don't we throw it over to Mark? Yeah, let's do that. Let's go over to Interim Resurgence now. That was recorded sure. in, in 1985, I believe the same year as Ipecac? It was probably recorded a few months afterwards. Yeah, obviously okay. I wasn't recording them both at the same time. Uh, probably, yeah, within a year of each other. Um, uh, he was very uh, prolific, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so he was always like, you know, even probably while he was recording, Ipecac was deciding, okay, we're going to do this next. But um, that was the beginning of his, I believe, his um, 
mutatus mutandus uh, period. You know, uh, in fact, the original cover, I have both covers of uh, Interim Resurgence, and I guess the, uh, the original one has, it says, Moamo incubation period, mutatus mutandus, March 9th, 1985 to December 31st, 1985. This was a period of time where he was, you know, trying to, to lose some weight. Yeah, and, and he actually did. He lost a lot of weight. Um, I, I remember he, he uh, we, I was talking to Ed uh, O'Brien about that, and he goes, and Ed was uh, amazing. Zoogs actually weighs less than I do. <laughs> you know, and you know, wow. uh, Ed, Ed's not a small guy, but um, I, I believe Zoogs was at 206 pounds, and he was mm-hmm. usually up over th- over 350, I believe. And he's not a tall guy; he's like five eight or something like that. So uh, he was always fighting, uh, you know, uh, his his weight. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously it got the better of him and the uh, health problems that he had later on in life were, you know, I think related to that, uh, the, you know, the heart problems and the, uh, the diabetes and so forth, because that, you know, was, was a big problem for him. But during that period, I think you're right. I think that was the 1985. That was the time when he was uh, trying to eat better, you know, lose weight. And, and he did. He actually looked pretty good for a while. Hmm. And uh, that didn't didn't last. Unfortunately. Yeah. Who's uh, Owen Green? I s- he got an engineer co-credit on Ipecac with you, and I, I th- believe he plays oh, yeah. bass on this one. Uh-huh, that's right. He's, um, you know, a bass player. I've played with him off and on for, for, for years as well. Uh, there was a band, uh, one of his bands called The Instigations, very uh, kind of experimental stuff. He liked the, uh, the progressive stuff, the uh, time changes and so forth. And, you know, he's a, a very good bass player. I think recently he's gotten into playing the oud. <laughs> you know that is like a Middle Eastern uh, stringed instrument. Yeah, Owen was uh, sort of my assistant engineer at the time, and um, so he would, you know, you know, deal with setting up microphones and, and you know helping with that kind of stuff. And uh, and then uh, he we also you know played music together. And, and Zoogs, I guess, recruited him into the band for Interim Resurgence, along with a few others. Uh, you know, uh, Tom Ferrandi is another one. Uh, Craig, I believe that was the first time that I worked with with, with Craig as well, yeah. Because he was not on uh, on on Ipecac, so uh, Craig came along later. Uh, excellent musician in his own right, I have to say. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Tom yeah. Ferranti, do you do you know where he came from? Uh I don't know exactly where he came from, other than he was a friend of mine. I played in a group called The Next Big Things from Britain uh, with him. Um, okay. which was on one of my compilation albums, uh, Give Me the Keys, which is the one that I was telling you about with a few local punk bands. And, of course, uh, you know, what better on a uh, self-release album is to put your own band on there, right? Yeah, so, for uh, sure. Yeah, so I put that band, and uh, I played clarinet in that band, and uh, Tom was uh, like a bass player. He also played drums. You know, not the you know the most accomplished musician, but he, you know, uh, had a certain feel, and, 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 and uh, Zooks, I guess, liked him. So... Uh, um, he wasn't like one of these, uh, you know, uh, Cal Arts guys or jazz player or anything. He was, you know, more basic rock and roll kind of stuff. Um, but uh, very, very funny guy. He, he's currently doing like voiceover work and and and, and uh, doing like uh, bit parts with, you know, uh, he he, he uh, has a very elastic face, you know. So okay. he's like doing doing these, you know, weird, you know, uh, where you take your your lower lip and stretch it over your forehead and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know how he does it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. So Owen was on that. Uh, the the um, interim resurgence band was somewhat different. I, I I don't think he had some of these players on any other uh, recordings, such as Owen and and, and Tom. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had to drive all the way out to uh, Tom's 
place to rehearse, which is out, you know, in Duarte or someplace like, I mean, you know, we're talking about 50, 60 mile drive just to, just to rehearse. Oh, I'm not wow. sure why we were, we were doing that other than I guess, uh, uh, Tom didn't have a car or something. I don't know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, I believe that was, um, that album was done with the four track, the same four track, uh, equipment that I used for, for Ipecac because I didn't, uh, according to my notes, I didn't get the A track, which was the Tascam 388 until 1986. It's an interesting recording. Do you recall mic placement and stuff like that? It, the vocals in particular have a really interesting quality to them. You, he sounds like he's maybe back off the mic a little, a little ways. Oh, that's, that's very possible. Uh, mic placements, um, you know, track assignments, uh, things like that. Uh, I was looking through my notes, you know, before I talked to you, and I, right. I, I'm not sure, you know, going back 30-some-odd years, I, I, I found one for Torment, which basically, you know, just tells me that here's the eight tracks and here's what's on those tracks and here's the levels that I had on them and all that kind of stuff. But as far as where the microphones were placed, um, that's a good, you know, yeah. I, I, I guess what I'm asking is, like, was there a conscious decision to create a more atmospheric, live-sounding record? It, it sounds, oh, um, it, it's got a very yeah. interesting sound to it. Yeah, um, I would I would say yes. Uh, and in fact, um, Zeus, once again, didn't have the technical chops to pull everything off, but he did know what he wanted. And so pretty much anything you hear would be a conscious decision because he, he you know, knew that I could probably get him if he wanted it to sound like, the, you know, he was recording in a, uh, uh, you know, uh, an anechoic chamber or a closet or something, I could do that. And so... Uh, I, I, I think the strategy there was to get it as, as live a uh, sound as possible. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. If there was a, a specific sound in there, it was probably a conscious decision on his part. Okay. So obviously you were you were mentioning to me that you had been fired from his band, I'm assuming multiple times, uh, but you ended up working with Zoogs for a lot of years. You're on multiple yes, yeah. multiple uh-huh, releases. Um, do you have a, do you have say, a favorite? Um, 1982 through 1990, which is a, well, uh, the nutritionally sound to me, I was working directly with him. And so that, that, uh, that one stands out as well. And, and the, the technology was the most advanced we had used up to that point. So there were less technical limitations because a lot of, uh, a lot of that was done on the computer. And, uh, I was kind of flashing at the time because I know, uh, Zappa did a lot of, uh, work, you know, with computer music and, 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 and he had, you know, very sophisticated, you know, synthesizer stuff. Uh, and so uh, I think this is Zeus's way of, of, you know, getting involved in, in that. Not not to emulate uh, Zappa, of course, because um, right. uh, people have pointed out, obviously, and I, I remember him always, like, you know, complaining that people were com- uh, com- comparing him to Zappa. But it was uh, basically, can you do this? And there was always a way to do it. As far as the others, let's see. Uh, We've got Water. We've got Water 2. Yeah. So the Water Trilogy, I, I, you know, there was Water, Water 2, and then I guess Non-Entity is considered the third one. And that's right. uh, Water Water 3, Fan Black Dada. Uh, so those three, I, I would say, because uh, it was um, very um, organic, you know, it, it was like there was just um, a, a flow to them. Uh, pardon the expression. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, yeah, I think that that was when Zoobs was at, at his, you know, creative peak at that time, and I guess I was at my creative peak uh, as far as the, uh, you know, the recording. It was the, I had gotten the A-track, and so I was basically, uh, I, you know, I was freed up to, you know, be more creative as far as, you know, track assignments and, and you know, uh, the, uh, 
the device that I had, the uh, the recording device that I had, was just very flexible. And for a, they called it a prosumer uh, okay. because it was a, um, yeah, it was a um, an A track on quarter inch tape, which was you know pretty much unheard of at the time. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was it was it, it was it was good. And and uh, and I remember um, a lot of the um, you know the the lyrics and and so forth. And he had those um, uh, you know the spoken word things and the you know the 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 sort of the um, very avant-garde stuff. Uh, yeah, I, those three albums to me, I think, was the peak. What are you doing now? Are you are you still recording bands? Are you playing music? Uh, I am playing music, and I'm recording um, my own band. Um, I have a jazz band called Chromosphere, which okay. is uh, you know basically it started out as a quintet: uh, bass, drums, guitar, keyboards, saxophone. Chromosphere. Yeah, Chromosphere. Since then. Uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, our guitarist decided he was the youngest of the band, and so he decided he was going to go, I, I don't know, play rock music or something. Um, and so now we just have a quartet, bass, drums, guitar, keyboard, and myself. Okay. Uh, no, no guitar. Bass, drums, keyboards, and saxophone. So I'm playing tenor sax. Recently, I've got an electronic uh, saxophone, a computer MIDI saxophone device, which I haven't quite yet integrated into my uh, uh, band. But uh, it's a Roland device, which is basically a uh, synthesizer controller with breath and, and pressure. And uh, since I'm not a piano player, per se, uh, it gives me a better way to enter, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the MIDI uh, in the, uh, uh, sounds into the computer and so forth. And I'm, I'm using, you know, now laptop uh, technology and hard drives, uh, right. you know, which is the state of the art right now and, and software. And it's just so much more capable than before. So yeah, I, I have an album. I actually started a second album with uh, my band Chromosphere, and we're uh, still, you know, rehearsing um, on a regular basis, trying to get maybe back into playing some gigs. So, uh, but yeah, I, I've always been into jazz, and so uh, the the interesting thing about uh, the jazz that I'm playing now, it, it does have elements of rock. So uh, you know, it's aggressive. Uh, that's why uh, basically we have trouble getting gigs at uh, restaurants while people are trying to eat because. You know, <laughs> We were, were a little too aggressive. In fact, we we played at a bowling alley, and they told us we were too loud. Oh, Go boy. Figure. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, this <laughs> sounds right up my alley, so I'll definitely be checking Chromosphere. There out. you go. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I have it up on uh, uh, TrigonRecords.com, but you can look at the Trigon Records discography, because uh, mm -hmm. I have a catalog there, and I, I, I may or may not have put that one up. That was just uh, came out a couple of years ago. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, sure, no problem. Um, you know, always, uh, you know, pleased to talk about, uh, you know, uh, Zooks because uh, he was underappreciated at the time, I believe. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. All right, thanks again, Mark. Lots of uh, great info about this record. I feel like, like if we've got Mark, we've got Craig, We've got clams in a glass. Like, what else, what else is there for source material on this record? There's a Zoog's Riff documentary. What? Yeah. Have you mentioned that before? I don't think so. Where's that from? I don't know. <laughs> I think, is there really one? Yeah, there is, yeah. Like, I, I, it's like self-made or something, you know? Oh, no way. Yeah. I had no idea. Yep. I wonder if that's on... Uh, if that's on Amazon, probably not. Probably not. I don't <laughs> think it was ever like put on DVD or anything, you know? 
Yeah, I'm sure it isn't. Yeah. No, no way. I had no idea. I don't recall anyone ever mentioning that. Hey, here's a few things I wanted to mention about Mark's interview, part two. That band that he has now called Chromosphere, they put out an album in 2011 on his Trigon label, and it's really great if you're looking for something kind of jazzy. I always am. It's also up on Spotify if anybody wants to check it out. And I found a SoundCloud page with a band Mark has with Owen Green, who's on bass, and Lynn Johnston, who plays bass, clarinet, and sax. And we know Lynn from Slovenly, and we're going to be hearing him again in a not-too-distant future with Cruel Frederick. They called themselves the Improv Collection, and you can find that on SoundCloud if you just Google the Improv Collection. And speaking of the comp zone, Ryan, some of those Trigon comps that Craig or that Mark was mentioning mentioning sound really cool. Woodstock yeah. 1985. Some of the bands on there are like the Wounded Reagans, the flipping <laughs> the flipping Nazis. Like I kind of want to check that comp out. Oh yeah. Have you ever heard of that? No. And then there's another one called another comp on that Trigon label called Gimme the Keys, which came out in 1980, 1988. He mentions a band off there called The Next Big Thing from Britain that he had with Tom Ferranti. The Thirsty Brats are on there, which is a pre-Suicide Kings, uh, The Humpers band that Scott Deluxe Drake had. Crawl Space is on there, with, who had many members of the Lazy Cowgirls in it, plus Joe Dean, who's now in The Wrinkling Brothers with George Hurley. So there's some cool, cool stuff. I'd love to hear those comps, though. Yeah. Can I hit you with a few reviews of Interim Resurgence? Yeah, I want to know what other people thought, because I'm interested to hear what you think, but, like, what did people think at the time, right? Here's Byron Coley from Forced Exposure. Zoogs' most reflective work yet has lots of piano and similar hand wiggle from Craig Unkrich. A lot less ugly aggression than one generally associ associates with the Z-Man. <laughs> Here's Bob Morris from Option Magazine, 1985. The musicians in his band are pros, accomplished musicians who are good at creating the kind of mood and image Zoogs wants. Upon first listen, many, including me, feel like walking out. However, with further listening, his stuff definitely tends to grow on you. Emanations of Dada from a true original. Okay, here's from Spin 1985. Richard Gere is the, is the writer. He selected this record as his Platter de Jour for December of 1985. And I also pulled out a few of his comments for later when we go through the tracks. He does mention those previous releases. Music Sucks and None of Your Damn Business and Can You Smell My Genitals from Where You're Standing. In his review which is cool. Like, I need to hear those. Too bad SST didn't reissue those. Imagine if we were actually doing, like, seven total Zoogs reissues right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he says, Zoogs Rift is a man with a vision. An interim resurgence is almost, dare I say it, conceptual in scope, alternating brilliant songs and instrumental interludes. Then he goes, Rift has never suffered fools gladly. Over the years, on record and in concert, he has lashed out at the lame brains who program the airwaves and minds of an audience that, at worst, 
subjects him to mocking derision, and at best tolerates his Dadaist and misanthropic crusade. I'm ready to go through the tracks if you are, Ryan. Let's do it. History Lesson Part 2 You were talking about this album as a whole, Ryan. Where does it where does it sit for you? For me? Yeah. Well, I like it better than Ipecac. Okay. I like it, I guess, about the same as The Island of Living Puke. It has one of my favorite Zoog's Rift songs on it of all time, so wait wait for the ballot results. I already know which one it is, I think. Oh, God. <laughs> Did you know, right. Here, here's an interesting thing I heard from Craig, though. He goes, I found out years later that Zoog's Rift despised this record. All known copies should be destroyed were his words, I believe. He he <laughs> he considered it his worst record. Oh no way! Yeah, it has its moments for me. I like this one better That's than what Water. I would say. Yeah, I I look at this one and Island of Living Puke and Water kind of a, a they're kind of on par with each other for me. Okay, well, let's go through the tracks. Track one, side one, Pre Moamo Syndrome. Craig says the sound you hear at the very beginning of the record is from a Japanese camera that Zoogs had recently purchased. This one's basically one minute, 30 seconds of some like backwards keys or something. Yeah, it's a weird number. Uh, Track two, with the necessary changes having been made. We've heard this one before on the Looser Than Clams comp. This is the one yep. where he's screaming, I am not looser than clams, over and over. <laughs> Why should the outcome of my philosophy have any effect on me? Why am I thinking these things? I like this one. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, it, it for me, it doesn't really stack up against some of the other ones on this record, though, but it's good. This is kind of like in that Richard Gere review. He's talking about how it's a semi-concept album. Like, we've got the Primo Ammo Syndrome which is probably when Zoogs is all fat, right? And then now the ne- the necessary changes have been made? Or they're having been made? <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Yeah, no, this has definitely got some conceptual uh, elements to it. It's got everything except the Marines. No secret Marines on this one. Yeah, I think exactly. this is our first Zoogs with no secret Marines. <laughs> That's okay. Next week, there's two Secret Marines tracks, so we'll make up for it. There you go. Craig's on this track, though, uh, on synths. In addition to Zoogs and Craig, we've got Tom Ferranti on drums and then Owen Green on bass. Okay, this next... Then we go to Night Traffic. Yeah. This one's all just a spoken word piece. Six vocal tracks. I think it lists on the album the the people who do it are Ed O'Brien, who we interviewed for... Uh, I think Water, John Van Zelm Truby, who's John Truby, obviously, Matt Carlson, who we talked about last week from The Earth Dies Burning, Scott D. of Colby, and Jonathan Mako Sharkey, your favorite, Ryan. Love that name. (laughs) (laughs) So Craig sent over the rehearsal worksheet they used for these, and then I realized they're actually in this Clams in a Glass book. So there's three pages pages of these, like, words that they're all saying and each line has a number preceding it telling them how many beats to count before they say their line and like they must have each got a page of these or something 
Should I read you a few of them? You have to. Ulcer City, Jocko. And yet no restitution has ever been proposed. Trying to make a meager wage. Cut off from all worldly treasures. Getting harder to swallow. This is a replica of the real thing. Trained seals for your morbid curiosity. And then all of a sudden, where are the so-called rainbows, hey? <laughs> it's as if the whole thing never happened. But a turd in winter. You're Just totally random and absurdist. Yeah. Track four, Exquisite Corpse. A nice little ballad, actually. Yeah, I, I like this one. This was one of my favorites. Me too. I just discovered yeah, that I died last night. I'm not too crazy about the whole idea. I can't remember being dead before. It's going to take some getting used to. Zoogs is really crooning here. A nice plucked melody on the T-bar guitar. Drums come in about halfway through. I think this track shows that Zoogs could be pretty diverse when he wanted to. Yeah. The lyrics kind of reminded me of It's weird being a Bob, but I'll get used to it. I'll have to. Yes. No means no. Yes. There's been lots of no means no love online these days. I think people being stuck in their house and rediscovering no means no was maybe one good thing going on. Yeah. Okay, speaking of being stuck in your house, we have track five. Don't go outside. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Some more T-bar guitar. A couple of vocal tracks of Zoogs kind of just wailing with some heavy layers of echo. Sounds like a sample of someone going, God damn, throughout it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then one of my favorite tracks, track six, X-Ray Girls. This one yeah, has the Ipecac lineup on it. Kind of a laid-back Beach Boys vibe here, a really hummable melody, Richie on Marimba. Marimba. Uh, here's from Craig. This is an existing song from the Ipecac sessions. On the original Snout release, Zoogs re-recorded it using multiple guitar tracks. When it came time to reissue the album on SST, he substituted the original band version back in and scrapped his guitar version. So there you go. On the Snout version of this, there's a different version of this song. Must seek it out. All right. We got to flip this sucker over then to side two. I'm just going to interrupt you there, Ryan. On the digital version of this, it adds in a track here called Day Traffic, which sounds like possibly a remixed version of Night Traffic. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Where do you find the digital version? SoundCloud? Spotify. Oh, Spotify, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So track one on side two then is Imaginary Numbers which is a Craig Unkrich solo piano arrangement and interpretation composition. Yeah, so check this out. The, this is from Craig. The melody in Imaginary Numbers is from T-Bar Pacifier Device from the album which was never released on vinyl called Can You Smell My Genitals From Where You're Standing. I can't believe you've said that line like four <laughs> times already. <laughs> He says, all keyboards on the album belong to Mark Myler and were, were his Korg with layered MIDI using a Casio, Casio CZ-101. This song was the one exception. It's a piano piece recorded in my living room in Slymore, California, based on a melody written by Zoogs, but it had a lot of interpretation on Craig's part. And I found this thing from Laura, Zoogs' wife. Zoogs was very inspired by surreal surrealist paintings 
This track was inspired by the Yives Tangai painting used on the lyric sheet for the snout version of Interim Resurgence. Mm. Right, then we go to uh, a familiar number, Mutatus Mutandus. Yeah, seven minutes long. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mutatus Mutandus. This one's also on Looser Than Clams, and this one is the one you picked for the ballot result, I believe, on that episode. I believe so too, yeah. It's got a great, well, it's got several great riffs in it, actually. Yeah, Zoogs does some real shredding on it. Very catchy tune, one of the best on the album. If you want the world at your feet, if you're a little too hot in the seat, if your hands won't stay away from the mute, from the meat. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think he's talking about, you know, going into Mutatus Mutandus. If you mm-hmm. want the world at your feet, if you're a little too hot in the seat, like your ass is a little big. Maybe. <laughs> if your hands won't stay away from the meat, like you won't stop eating meat. You got to go on a diet, man. Yeah, mutatus mutandus. Richard Gere in the Spin article says, the brisk, melodic, and by gum rockin' statement of purpose. I, I like this song a lot. This song's really good. It, it would probably be the best one on the album if we... It'd be my ballot result, I think, if we hadn't picked it already. Oh, no way. Yeah. Next, we've uh, we've got a tune by Mark. Ironic Woodwind Interlude. One of the best song titles of all time. Yeah. Yeah, soloist clarinet Mark Myler. Has some effects on it, too. Yeah. It's a very literal song title as well. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? And then uh, side two. It, uh, it closes out with Spit in the Fog, which has got the full slate of all the all the players on it. It's a uh, very cool tune. I like this one a lot, too. Here's from Craig. Spit in the Fog is part of Lovely Girl, a Zobus tune never released on SST. It was re-recorded with spoken vocal track for Interim Resurgence. It's a really good closing song. Here's what, it oh, sa- yeah. here's what it says in the Spin article. A fond adios during which Moamo describes an almost Poe-like landscape while a noble anthem builds underneath for several minutes. It's a corny kind of nobility, but oddly exhilarating nonetheless, so just dig it. I have been called upon by the ultimate to fulfill my greatest destiny, internal peace within the magnanimous confines of of our perceived celestial boundaries until something else better comes along in the sacred year of the Moamo. Yeah, and it's got the most players on it too, right? It's got Zoogs, Craig, Tom, Owen, Mako Sharky, Richie, and Mark on it. Yeah. All uh, playing their main instruments, I guess. Mako and Unkrich on this, both doing synths. The marimba is a huge highlight for me on this one too. Yeah, check out this review that Craig sent me of a Zoog's Rift show. He calls it the third show to promote Interim Resurgence. You just reminded me of it. The 1986 Mutatus Mutanda show band and review is a collection of some fine musicians who have an obvious affinity for the Zoog's Rift style. Unkrich and Myler worked very well together, both doubling certain lines and playing against one another. Mylar, in particular, was asked to do some heavy work. 
There were occasions when he would blow a repeating riff for so long and with such, such consistency that one would expect he was at the point of hyperventilation. Much to his credit, he pulled it off, and with seeming ease, Haas and O'Brien anchored the band, which was both disciplined and extremely well rehearsed. That's from Music Connection. Should we talk about the artwork? Yeah. The front cover on this one has got uh, like a picture of Zoogs in the foreground with a bandana making a face. It's got uh, Zoogs Rift, Interim Resurgence, and then SST is way down separately in the bottom right-hand corner written on the cover. And then in the background is a photo. It looks like it's just a number of women bathing it i mean i'm just guessing but it looks like a bunch of indian women maybe going for a bath um, at a river or something like that yeah it looks like something you would have like taken out of national national geographic when you're a little kid or something yeah 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 for sure it's totally gonna get yanked off instagram as soon as we put it up there that's for sure is that right oh yeah because of copyright or because of nudity nudity they took off well, we can... they took off the Angst LP mystery spot no because way. there's a little kid's bum on it. <laughs> oh my god. Well can we blur it out or something? Maybe. That's that's lame, man, because I, I don't like I don't know. I, get, I mean I guess I get censorship if you have to do it to prevent against harm, but this is I don't know. I don't think that there's anything harmful here in its art, but let's maybe see if we can blur it out so they don't uh, screw up Zoogs' piece of work here. The snout artwork is the same on the front cover. It just obviously doesn't say SST and the the lettering's a little different of Mm. the album title. The back cover, though, is completely different. If you look at the snout version online, it's very busy. Apparently that's how Zoogs Rift wanted it. Uh, you can see a pic of Zoogs floating in some water. Uh, and there's a picture on the bottom right, which is apparently Laura and Aaron Rift on the beach at Santa Barbara. And it says on the back of that one, dedicated to the memory of Captain Lou Albano. Now, nice. I, I think we've mentioned before that Zoogs loved wrestling and wanted to be a wrestler. Interesting that he dedicated it to the memory of Captain Lou Albano, who didn't die until 2009. Maybe it's because Captain Lou had retired by then. Maybe. I don't know. The back cover on the SST one, though, it appears to be uh, an image like the painting from the Sistine Chapel. That's what it looks like. All right. And then uh, it's got all the song titles and credits um, as we've kind of covered them during the tracks. There's a squiggle at the top, which I can only assume is Zug's signature. Just guessing. I don't know. Do you uh, do you have any clue on that one? No, none. Okay. It also has, it looks like graffiti in the bottom right written down there. Just in case you had forgotten, it says, I am not looser than clams, double exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> it mentions um, all the material composed, arranged, conducted, produced by Zoogs. And uh, it was recorded June and July of 85 at Trigon Studios. 
we we covered that in the interview there. This is a reissue of the Snout Records release. It mentions SRR-016 to get your... Hey, I wonder if someone's going to do a Snout Records in order of release podcast like like Mojack. What do you I, think? I think we pretty much are. Uh, I suppose... Well, we're not, <laughs> we're, not, we're not covering every Snout release, I don't think, are we? I, I don't think we are. Um, I hope somebody does that, man. Yeah. And then uh, as for uh, Dead Wax, we've got none on this one. Okay. Which is too bad. Um, keep your eyes out for the snout version because that's where the, the camera reference is. Ballot result? It has to be. Ballot result. Can I tell you what I think the ballot result should be, Ryan? You can. Are you going to be telling me because you think it's the one I'm choosing or the one that you like? Are you are you trying to guess me out again here or what? I'm telling you which I think the one we both agree on that it should be. Okay. Which is it? They're not holograms. <laughs> hey, I like that song, but I, I honestly, I would pick Spit in the Fog 100%. Really? 100%. It's one of my favorite Zug songs of all time. I love it. Oh, I thought uh, you were really digging that X-Ray Girl song. I can do oh, Spit I, in the Fog. I really like that one, too. I like X-Ray Girls. Don't get me wrong, man. There's a few keepers on this record, for sure. You know what the thing, though, is, Ryan? What? I hate to point this out, but we are starting a brand new compilation tape. We're starting Volume 7. Is this, tr is this track one of side A? Yeah. So it's got to be X-Ray Girls. Sorry. Well, I mean, like, Spit in the Fog. If this it's was not, the last song, it would be a no-brainer. Yeah, but Spit in the Fog's not an opener. But it's my favorite song in this record, 100%. But well, let's, let's, hey, man, you can start a comp tape with a, with a chill song. Yeah, you pick. I'm good either way. I like both songs. Hmm. Let's do Spit in the Fog. All right, man. Don't just do it because you think I'm going to quit on you. I'm good. Spit in the Fog's a good song. All right. Uh, hey, thanks to Craig for all the great info, and thanks to Mark for being a guest. It was great having them both involved with this one. Yeah, 100%. Great to have uh, people who were there contribute to this weird, obscure examination of a weird and obscure record. <sighs> Ryan, what's next week? Next week, don't sigh so heavily. <laughs> I'm just, just I'm just kidding. I'm having a good time with Zoogs, man. Yeah, me too. Did you see? Um, I mean, I don't really follow our social media, but there was one post or whatever. We said April April is Zoogs Rift Month, and one post was like, "See you in May." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You, you know, know I was Zoogs get some love ahead. too though, man. Yeah. I was um uh I was listening to Conan well it's probably not Conan, Conan Neutron's Protonic podcast this week and uh Steve Albini was on it and right. you know you know I'm a big fan and Steve is he's very opinionated and whatnot. He was actually quite I don't know. He he copped to a lot of stuff, which I thought was pretty pretty good of him um, in that podcast. Actually, he's um, 
he's he's smart enough to know that he can't get away with stuff or if he does something wrong he owns up to it and i always respect that uh, about him but he was talk they were talking about john peel they were actually talking about the death of radio which is um uh the name of that two lp that they put out and the john peel sessions and here's where i'm going with this he was talking about how john peel was hugely influential and uh opened up a lot of minds out there and was um also noteworthy because he listened and tried everything that came to him you know like he didn't like everything but he he at least gave it a try and i i was i wasn't thinking like we're nowhere near like john peel but i will say that we definitely uh try everything that we're getting into here and um, I hope other people give Zoogs a try because, look, Zoogs ain't 100% good, but the good stuff is great. You know, people need to hang in here for a couple of more great episodes. And next week, it's SST 122, the Zoogs Rift album, Amputees in Limbo. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.